0: where we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Philippians. And and so if you remember, when we started out, we started in Philippians chapter 1, and and Paul was talking to us about what it means to live for Christ and live for Christ as his representative. And and Paul was talking about how we can find peace through living for Christ. And, And we started to see that as Paul takes us through the book of Philippians, this is not just One expansive message on what peace is, or one elaborated talk on peace, but rather it's almost four different conversations on different things that we need to incorporate into our lives if we're going to find the the peace of Christ. Last week we continued the series, and it feels like the series is flying by, Uh, but last week we we were in Philippians 2, and, and we changed gears just a little bit, and we talked about what it means to live like Christ. And Paul in Philippians 2 really talks about uh, the attitude of Christ. And we talked about how can we live like Christ. And we talked about how, you know, a lot of of probably your parents when they were growing up, you know, Michael Jordan was this big superstar and everyone wanted to live like Mike. Uh, But something that we need to desire is to live like Christ and, and how we can find peace when we're focused on the Prince of Peace. And tonight, hey, turn me down just a little bit. It's like booming behind me. Uh, tonight we're going to continue uh, in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to talk about what it means to know Christ. Not just know who Jesus is. Not to just know what Scripture says about Jesus, but to actually know Christ. What does it mean to know Christ? You know, when, when you think about knowing somebody... There's typically certain things that you need to know about them or that you need to share in relationship with them for you to actually know them. You may know of someone, but that doesn't mean that you actually know them. Right? I may know Lawson, but do I, do I really know Lawson? Right? Do I know what, what Lawson cares about? Or do I just know who he is and know that he likes cows? You know? If you were paying attention to small group trivia a couple of weeks ago, you'd know that was, that was one of the, the fun facts about Lawson. Right? But what does it mean to actually know Christ just beyond knowing that, yeah, Jesus was a guy who had 12 disciples, died on a cross, supposedly for our sins, right? Like, how do we know Christ and know him on a deeper level and have a personal relationship with him? So tonight, like I said, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, flip there. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you to follow along. It's a shorter chapter, uh, but Paul really packs a lot into this chapter. So listen to these verses as I read. Here's what it says. Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do, I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as her righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all those who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we, we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Paul here, continuing his message to the book of Philippians, uh, in a lot of ways uh, shows us some very straightforward things that we need to do to receive the peace of Christ. But then he also offers uh, some harsh warnings for us. Uh, and, and so I want us to dig into these things. And as we unpack what it means to truly know Christ, we're going to focus on four things. We're going to focus, fo- focus. focus on four things. If you have a sheet of paper, they're listed plain as day on there for you. But if not, I would encourage you to take notes. Because I do think that all, uh, what Paul has to say here is very important. So the first thing I think when, when we look at Philippians chapter 3 and we're, we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to truly know Christ? Christ I think the first thing that Paul hits on here is that if we're going to truly know Christ we have to rely on Christ we have to rely on Christ and we we see this in verses 2 through 8 let's read those again verses 2 through 8 here's what Paul says watch out for those dogs those people who do evil those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. You know, when, when Paul later in this uh, chapter says that uh, he's not yet reached the perfection that Christ offers, he should have thrown in there uh, the example of what he just said and pointed to the fact that hey, Paul here. If we want to look at how Paul's not perfect, Paul here is pretty prideful. Uh, if we're just going to be honest, he's sitting there essentially listing out his accomplishments to everyone, saying, "Look at me, you know. I look at you know. If anyone has reason." To, to rely on their own confidence, it's me, because look at what I've done, I followed the law perfectly, you know, not to mention though, that no one followed the law perfectly except for Christ. But so Paul here, despite his pride, he, he really mentions some interesting points. You see, I, I think when we look at Paul telling us that we need to rely on Christ and that we can't rely on our, our human effort, I think he's really focusing on our desire and really our nature to want to be independent. Right? You're you're an independent person. Right? You think for yourself. You eat for yourself. You do a lot of things for yourself, I would hope. Uh, Maybe some less than others. And and as we progress through life, though, this is natural, right? Like when you were two years old, uh, you may have had someone feed you. When you were two days old, uh, people did everything for you. Right? They... (laughs) They they wiped your butt, they fed you, you know. Without other people, you could not live, right? And as you slowly progressed through life, you became more and more independent, right? And then you became teenagers. And you demanded independence. And when your parents don't recognize that independence, what happens? It's like World War III at home. You know, I've been there. I was that way. You know, I hated being told what to do, right? I hated my parents saying do your chores, do your homework, do this, do that, go to church, right? I didn't like it because I was independent, especially once I got my car, right? Once I got a car, it was like, all right, your boy is driving and your boy can make his own decisions. And then this thing called gas money was held over my head and said, you know, they said, if you want gas money, you do what we say. Uh, but, but that's just a natural progression of life. Right, and eventually you become 18 or you graduate college and you move out and you get a job. And even then you think, oh, I'm independent and I can rule my entire life. But then there's still this authority. Right, but Paul here is saying that, you know, we, really Paul shows exactly what we walk through. Right, Paul here is listing out his accomplishments, saying, look at me. Look at me, I've done all these things. Right, and that's often the posture that we take. Look at me, look how much I read my Bible, look how much I worship, look what I do. Look how much money I can make. I've got things together, I can do my homework on time. Look at me, I'm pretty independent. But Paul here models exactly how we often live. You see, we like to be independent and we, we like to think that we can do it all. But the message that Christ counters with all through the Gospels is you can't do it all. And that's what Paul here is saying, is that if we want to know Christ, if we want to know Christ, we have to be dependent on Christ. If we want to know Christ, you have to be dependent on Christ. And again, as independent people, this is really hard. This is really hard. As teenagers, you are growing more into this this nature of not wanting to be dependent on your parents anymore naturally right and then as adults like I don't think any adult in this room would go yeah I want to be dependent on my parents I don't think uh, that's just not who we are and so this is something that is really hard for us we look at our lives and say well if I can do this this and this why do I need to rely on God yeah I can have a relationship without being dependent I can have a relationship with you and you with me without you being dependent on me. And that's a lot of times the type of relationship we wanna have with God. We wanna just have this friendship with him where we're not dependent, where we maintain our independency. Because that's our nature. But Paul here is saying that, look, you cannot do it all. You have to rely on Christ because despite our ability. Despite our ability to to live good lives or even live lives for Christ, you know, Paul here is saying, look, if anyone followed the law perfectly, it was me. But then he goes on to say, but that was worthless compared to what Christ did. And I think that's what we have to understand is we cannot do what Christ did. And when we begin to realize that we cannot do what Christ did, then we begin to understand the reason that we have to be dependent, the reason that we have to rely. If you have your Bible, flip back just one book. It should only be like two pages. To Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what it says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. See, you cannot do what Christ did. And what did Christ do? It may be a, a real simple church answer that you've heard many times before, but honestly, uh, there's a lot that lies in that. That Christ shouldered the sin of the world and bought your forgiveness, bought your salvation. You cannot buy your salvation. That's what Ephesians 2, that's what Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians, just one book before. Paul is saying, look, you cannot do this on your own. And because you cannot do it on your own, because God knew you can't do it on your own, Christ did it for you. And so here's the deal is, if we want to know Christ, we have to be dependent on Christ because he's the one that bought our salvation. And really we take it a step further and say, hey, if you want to be saved, you have to depend on Christ because it's a gift. It's a gift. And if you go buy yourself something, it's no longer a gift. It's just something that you bought. But something that someone else bought for you and then you receive from a place of dependency, now that's a gift. That is a gift. And so we have to rely on Christ for our salvation. As we also look in verse 8, I think Paul shows us another thing that we need to take into consideration if we're going to truly know who Christ is. And it's something that maybe as we're reading we, we wouldn't just pick up on. But I want to read this to you again. Here's what he says. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. So that I could gain Christ. So I think that's the second thing that we see here is if we're going to truly know Christ, we have to gain Christ. Now now, what does that mean? I think Paul's words are very interesting. Right, Paul says that he's discarded everything else in order to gain Christ. And he counted everything else as garbage. And simply, like if we just unpack what it means to gain Christ, you could also look at it as you, you have to receive Christ. When you gain something, you add that into, into something. It's addition. Right, so if we're going to gain Christ, we have to add Christ to our lives. But Paul here doesn't just say, okay, you know, just live through life, live the life you're living, and just add Christ to your life. No, that's not what he says. He says if we're going to gain Christ, we have to discard everything else. That means that everything we had before we gained Christ, we probably need to get rid of. He's saying that in order for us to gain Christ, everything else has to be discarded. You have to discard everything else. Now, you cannot gain Christ if you are not willing to get rid of something. Because before Christ, you have what's called a sinful nature, right? You have this inclination to sin, to live in sin, and to not care. And the thing about God is, God cannot exist in the presence of sin. And so what Paul is saying here is in order for you to gain Christ, you have to get rid of your sin. You have to get rid of anything that does not bring honor and glory to God. Because if you're not willing to get rid of that stuff, you can't gain Christ. You can't. And that is hard for us. Because gaining Christ and discarding everything else means you might have to get rid of a friend group. Because that friend group isn't something that's going to point you in the direction of Christ. It may mean that you need to change the music that you're listening to. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've used this before. Uh, when I was in college, I listened to you know, all sorts of music. And, and then I moved down here, and I, look, I love country music. But I just found my, myself in, in a place of life where I just need to be pointed to Christ and music country music wasn't doing it for me rap music wasn't doing it for me and so i flipped to christian music on the radio and now every time i get in the car that's what's on and it points me to christ and so sometimes you need to change the music you're listening to because let's just be honest there's a lot of things in in 21st century music right now that's not going to point you to christ what's that song that cardi b just came out with not too long ago Like, Lord, have mercy, if we're using that as an example, that does not point you to Christ. And I think you know what's, I don't remember the name of the song, but I think you know exactly which one I'm talking about. Huh? Yeah, the WAP. (laughs) That ain't the WAP I grew up with. Jeez. It may also mean that in order for you to gain Christ, you got to get rid of different apps. Because maybe the apps, or or maybe it's not the app itself, but maybe the way you're using the app is pointing you in a different way towards Christ. Snapchat. I'm just going to be honest, Snapchat's a terrible app. (laughs) Why? Because the pictures delete themselves, so you think. Right? And so it's real easy to fall into temptation and start sending pictures you shouldn't be sending. It's real easy to use apps in ways that you shouldn't be using them. And so if we're going to gain Christ, we need to just honestly and objectively look at at the things in our life and say, okay, is this part of my life, is this thing that's in my life or this person in my life, are they pointing me to Christ? Do they lead me down a path that is honoring to Christ? Because if not, I need to discard it. I need to get rid of it. Because if I don't, then I cannot gain Christ. And what is more important? uh, Just the question really for you is, is what is more important? Keeping sin in your life or gaining Christ? That's the question. What is more important to you? When Christ is calling his disciples, what does he call them to do? He doesn't just say, hey, bring everything you got and follow me. He calls him to leave everything behind and follow him. He didn't say, hey, follow me and just leave behind the things you don't like and bring the things you do, the things that are comfortable. No, he says, leave everything and follow me. And that's what he says to us is if we want to gain Christ, we need to leave everything and follow him. We need to be willing to leave everything to follow him. Christ doesn't just want part of your life. You know, Christ, gave, Christ didn't just give part of his life for you. Christ gave his entire life for you, and that's what he asks in return. How selfish is it for us to, to sit here and say, man, Christ, I, I really want you in my life, but this part of my life, not, not willing to get rid of that for you. Mm-mm, I'm going to keep this because I like this. You can have everything else, but this is my corner. This is Nathan's corner right here. You can't have that. Now, what if Christ had had that same mentality for us of, "Mm, you know, God, I I really love people, but I don't know that I'm willing to do this for them. Sorry, tough luck, people. What if he had said, you know, God, uh, I really love people, but I, I don't know that I'm willing to let them have the part of my life that's going to allow me to go to the cross to die for their sins. What if he had done that? I think we'd be in a a world of hurt. Now, Christ was willing to give his whole life for us. And how selfish it is for us to not be willing to give our whole life in return to him. And that's what Paul's saying here is if we want to gain Christ, we have to be willing to give him our whole life and be willing to discard the things that don't lead us to him. And it really should come to no surprise because if we want to receive salvation, redemption, and forgiveness, it should be common sense. I would think to us that you can't be redeemed or forgiven when you're not willing to recognize the sin in your life. If you're not willing to recognize sin, how how can you receive forgiveness for your sins? You can't. You can't. As we keep reading through Philippians chapter 3, when we get to verses 13 through 14, I think Paul shows us the third thing that that we need to have in order to know Christ. Here's what he says. In verse 13, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, no, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So I think the third thing that Paul is showing us here is that if we want to truly know Christ, we have to focus on Christ. We have to focus on Christ. And Paul says it great here. I don't don't even need to come up with a catchy phrase because Paul says it plainly here that for us to focus on Christ, we need to forget the past and just focus on the future. Forget the past. And focus on the future. Something that Satan loves to do. Listen to this. Because I think this just in and of itself is something valuable that you can just keep in the back of your mind to realize as you're going through life. Is The thing with Satan is, Satan loves to use your past. Satan loves to use your past and he loves to use your past against you. He loves to remind you of the awful and terrible things. You notice how Satan doesn't like to remind us of the good things we've done. He only likes to bring up the bad things that we've done because he wants you to feel worthless. He wants you to feel ashamed. And if he can use your past against you, he'll keep you from walking into the future that God has for you. But on the flip side, the thing with Jesus is, is Jesus doesn't call us back into our past. He calls us out of our past and into the future. And so we're really at this crossroads. Are we going to focus on our past and focus on what Satan would want us to focus on? Or are we going to turn and we're going to focus on the future of redemption and salvation and forgiveness of love and joy and peace that, that Christ is calling us into? Because here's the thing, know this, is that Jesus will never hold your past against you. Jesus will not hold your past against you. You know, that was one of the biggest things that when I felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry that was holding me back was my past and the things that I'd done in my past. And I finally, I mean, it was only a couple years ago that I really felt free from my past and realized that the Lord was never reminding me of my past. It was always Satan reminding me of my past and and trying to make me feel insecure, make me feel like I I wasn't good enough to, to be where God had me. And I, I, I really did, and it's something that's hard. When you're in the middle of Satan reminding you and drawing you back to your past, it's hard to, to focus on the future and realize what God is calling you into. And, and so many times we want to follow Christ and we want the peace that Christ offers, but we're not willing to leave our past behind. We're stuck. It's like our feet are stuck in quicksand. We're sitting here in our past, focused and just fixated on it. We're focused on our sin and our shame, and we're sitting here wondering you know, why isn't God blessing me or why isn't God leading me? And into, into the promises that He has for me is because we're just sitting here going like this on our past. Remember, I, I, I've told you, I've used the example before where it's like we put blinders on ourselves it's like we have tunnel vision when when we look at our past we're just so fixated on it that we miss everything else that god is calling us to do and for us to know christ and, and to know who he is and to know what he desires and to know what he's calling us into we have to forget the past and look to the future we have to look forward we can't look behind ourselves you can't walk into something if you're constantly walking backwards And so Paul here is saying that if we want to know Christ, we need to look forward to what lies ahead. And Paul references here running a race. And when you're running a race, you don't run going like this. If you run going like this, you'll never reach the finish line. And Paul here is saying, look, we are running a race. And so keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes ahead and keep your eyes focused on Christ because he is the one that will lead you where he's calling you. And I think that we here we just need to ask ourselves the honest question of where are we focused? Where are you focused? Because a lot of things in our life could change if we would focus on Christ instead of our past, instead of the shame and regret. If we would focus on Christ and, and stop listening to Satan, and I realize that's hard to do sometimes, and, and I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to struggle with looking back to your past. It's not wrong to struggle with that, but I want you to know this, that Jesus never holds your past against you. Jesus died for your past, and Jesus also died for your future. He doesn't hold that against you, but he he doesn't want you to stay in the past. He died so that you could be free from your past. So that you could walk with him and walk into the promises that he has for you. The last thing that I think Paul is showing us here, we find in uh, verses 18 through 19, here's what he says. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they really are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. I think as we look back through the past two weeks, this this point is going to be one that we've had throughout the last two weeks, maybe in different forms. But Paul here is saying that the last thing, if we're going to truly know Christ, you got to live for Christ got to live for Christ. We've had that in Philippians 1 and 2. Paul here says, you've heard the phrase before, that your actions speak louder than your words. But I would say that Paul's words here are that your actions prove your faith. Your actions prove your faith or your lack of faith. And we see that elsewhere in Scripture too. That your actions are the result of... Of your faith. That you're not saved by what you do, but what you do shows your faith and is evidence of your faith. Paul here essentially is saying that if you have faith, you'll live for Christ. If you don't have faith, you won't live for Christ. It's kind of simple logic. But your actions prove your faith or your lack of Let me ask you this, what what do your actions show about your faith? What do your actions speak about your faith? Because you can sit here and say, I'm a Christian, I love Christ, uh, I love God, but your actions may disagree with you on that. And your actions are the evidence. Anyone can can say words and, and can say one thing, but what they do really speaks for who they are, where they are, and it shows the truth. So, do your actions say that you have faith? Or do your actions say that you're actually, as Paul says, it, an enemy of Christ? Paul here says that if you don't have faith and you're not living for Christ, you're an enemy of Christ. You're an enemy. so I think this is something that's really important because I I don't know about you, but I do not want to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's just something I really don't want to be. And the problem here is that we get so focused on our lives here on earth that we get so caught up, as Paul says, in our appetite and the things that look pleasurable to us and the things that we want and desire and what paul here is saying is that we get so caught up in these things that our actions show that truly like while we may think that we're living for christ our actions are actually saying that we're an enemy of christ we get wrapped up in the things that we want in this world and we start walking down paths that do not lead us to christ that do not represent christ that don't reflect christ but we're so caught up on what's happening on earth and what people think about us and uh, the things that we have that we completely miss what it means to live for Christ you know we, we want to do everything on earth that we can to make ourselves comfortable make ourselves look good make people like us stay trendy and we sacrifice all that for what we could have. Or, excuse me, we sacrifice what we could have for, for those things. Let me tell you something. Your earthly life determines your eternal life. Your earthly life determines your eternal life. And I told you this rope would, would come to make sense. I, I want you to picture this rope. As your life. And this red part of the rope is your life here on earth. And this knot represents when you die. Okay? This is your life on earth. And this is your eternal life. Now you tell me what's longer. Your earthly life? Or your eternal life. Now let me ask you another question. What do most people want to live for? Most people live for this instead of living for this. It keeps going. What are you living for? Are you living for your eternal life or are you living for your earthly life? Because what you live for has a lot of impact. If you're living for this, you're not living for this. If you're living for this, you can't live for this. It's not possible. If you're living for Christ, you'll live for this. If you live for yourself and live for the world, you'll live for this. And this is what you'll get. That's all you'll get. But if you'll choose to live for Christ, the reward is so much greater. And Paul here says that there's some real consequences. There's some real consequences if we choose to live for our life on earth versus eternal life with Christ. Because if you want to live for your life on earth, you cannot live for eternal life with Christ. And I'll just be straight up with you, you're either living for heaven or hell. And I know that we don't, a lot of times it makes us uncomfortable to talk about the fact that the choices we make here on earth can really determine whether or not we spend eternal life in heaven or hell. But that, that, that's the truth. And there's a lot of significance in the the choices that you make. If you choose to have faith in Christ and you choose to live for Christ, there's a lot that goes into that. And if you choose not to live for Christ, there's a whole lot that goes into that too. You know, Christ has come alongside us with a life raft saying, hey, hop on. And you got to choose to jump. Or not. And we're all destined to hell. We're all, because of our sin, destined to die and spend eternity apart from God. But the beauty of salvation, the beauty of Christ is that he's come alongside us. And, you know, we're standing here on this sinking ship, and Christ has come along with a, a life raft and said, hop on. I got you. Well, you've got to choose whether or not you're going to jump. You've got to choose whether or not you're going to live for Christ if you're going to stay living for yourself. And we can't blame God for the decisions that we make or that don't make or the decisions other people make or don't make because Christ has made his decision. He's chosen you. He wants you to get on the life raft. He wants you on the life raft. He wants you to live for him. But ultimately, you have to make a choice whether or not you are going to live for him. And, and so I'll just leave you with this, that, you know, as we've discussed, you know, Paul is sitting here in prison, probably one of the lowest points of his life, being tortured, and he still finds peace. And what Paul here is saying is that he finds hope and peace in knowing Christ. He relies on Christ. He, he gained Christ. He focuses on Christ, and and he lives for Christ. Even when he's at the lowest point in his life, he lives for Christ, and he makes that choice. And I think it's because he understood that in order to have peace, you have to know the Prince of Peace. If you're going to have peace, you have to know the Prince of Peace. Christ, by his nature, was full of peace. And for us to receive the peace that he offers, we just have to know him. And as we know Christ, we'll receive that peace. As we've talked about uh, living for Christ and living like Christ and now knowing Christ. Those are three steps down the pathway to peace. And and next week, we'll, we'll wrap things up next week and Paul's going to be pretty straightforward with with the things that we can do to receive peace. And he's really going to sum all of this up. And and so I'm excited to share that with you because I I think next week Paul has a pretty strong message for us as well. But I hope that you'll choose to focus on Christ. I, I, I hope you'll choose to live for him and rely on him. Because I want you to receive the peace of Christ. I want you to know him. But ultimately, the choice is yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the time that we can spend together this evening. Lord, I thank you for your words through Paul. Lord, I thank you for making it possible, Lord, for us to know you and be in relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that you've just simply made that possible. Lord, I thank you that you desire for us to know you on such a deep level, to be in relationship with you, Lord, and receive the peace that you offer. Lord, I thank you that you call us out of our past and into a future with you. Lord, I thank you that when you saw us stuck in our sin, and when you see us stuck in our sin, Lord, you pull us out. Would you come alongside us and offer us a way out? And would I pray that you would help us to see that. Lord, that you'd help us to turn from our sin, Lord, and choose a life that is honoring to you. Lord, a life where we live for you and live how you've called us to live. Lord, I recognize that not all of us live for you. And none of us live for you each and every moment of our life. So, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us of our sins and help us to walk with you. Give us a strength when it feels hard to walk with you. Give us a strength to turn away from the world, to leave everything behind that is sinful and follow you. Lord, I thank you that even when we fail, Lord, you never stop giving up on us. Lord, I thank you for these students. Lord, I thank you for the way that you love them. Lord, I thank you that you never give up on them. Lord, as we go through this evening, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. Speak your words to them. Speak your truth to them. Give them the courage to live for you every moment of their life. And Lord, if they don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a mighty way convict them, and wrap them up in your arms. Lord, we ask all this in your name. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing his blessings each and every day. God bless you and thank you for listening.